Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Hey, church, I, uh, I hope you appreciate and enjoy as much as I do being a part of a community of faith that is serious about engaging and blessing our community with the gospel. I love that. We've got over 100 middle school and high school kids away this morning uh, on a retreat. They're hearing the gospel and about 50 adults are up there with them, with them, just loving on them and building relationships. I love that. I love the fact that we're going to be hosting in this very room, this, the, the Baker Center uh, gym, this Friday night. Uh, that's a big deal. A hundred special honored guests will be here with special needs. And, and uh, over 240, they literally had to cut off the signups because uh, so many people were responding in so many ways that uh, that's, I, I just love being a part of a church that is serious about engaging and blessing, loving in very real ways. Uh, our community, both within and without, with the gospel. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be, uh, it's kind of a prom style event this, uh, this Friday, so I can guarantee you there's going to be some good 70s music being played in here, because it's really all the best music. It really, I mean, you go to something like, you'll see, I mean, it's just YMCA, I mean, you just know it. And uh, in fact, I, you know, I love 70s music. I'm on record for that. There is a, a song, late 60s, early. There was a song that kind of became an anthem for the 70s. Uh, a guy named uh, Bill Withers. Come on, you know this one? This is a good one. Yeah, Bill Withers, Withers come out. I used to sing this at camps, right? We would, uh, we'd all get up on our feet and grab an arm, someone beside you. Start. This literally kind of became a good, a good camp song. Let's sing it together. Here we go. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain. That's right. We all have sorrow. You know it's true. You know it. We are wise. We all know. Always. Always tomorrow. tomorrow. Come on. Sing it out. When you're not strong and I'm going your friend, I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to Could keep going. <laughs> I love it. Yes. But Bill Withers, it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. True or not true? Come on, church. We know it. True. We need each other. We need each other. And to connect this to where we're going in this year of transformation. This is such an essential piece 
to being transformed by God. This is, this is a, a discipleship issue. That if we are going to, to become all that God wants us to be, the disciples that Jesus has literally created and designed us to be, we need each other. We've been seeing these last four weeks, the importance, four or five weeks, of being spiritually alive. We had about 10% of our church body last Sunday came forward to be anointed with oil. It's pretty awesome. God at work. And someone caught me at the door after the 815 service with brightness in his eyes. And he said, I know God's moving. I'm feeling it. Jesus is touching me. I love that. And we also are going to be looking this month and, and in the coming year at this need for each other, relationally connected, transformed into the person God wants us to be. I'm going to take us back to the garden. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, if you would. Genesis 1 and 2 and, and, uh, and the, the last, basically the first two chapters of the Bible and the last two chapters of the Bible are paradise. One and two is paradise. 20, Revelation 21 and 22 is paradise restored. And everything in between from, from Genesis 3 to, uh, to Revelation chapter 19 is God calling us to work it out because we're living in a fallen world. And when we look at paradise, over and over again, as God creates in these six days of creation, how, does, how do we see every day ending? And God saw that it was, what is it? Good. God saw it was good. Everything about creation was good, 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 and good. There was only one thing that wasn't good. Let's look at chapter 2, verse uh, 18. This is after God created the man, Adam, put him in the garden. Then the Lord God said, it is, here you go, not good. <laughs> For the man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable to him. The only thing not good in the garden was this lack of of relational connection. That wasn't good. God created us to be in relationship with each other. But unfortunately, sadly, really, truly, the fall changed everything. How did Adam and Eve respond after they sinned and broke fellowship with God? They, they, they tried to hide. So there was the first time ever there was this sense of guilt. Guilt had never existed on the earth. But Adam and Eve felt guilty. And not only that, they felt a sense of shame. For they tried to cover up their nakedness, their fallenness. In fact, what we began to see just in a visual image is this perfection, this paradise. It's starting to come apart. <laughs> The puzzle pieces are starting to pull apart and now we're starting to see people living in isolation. I'm, I'm going to quote another, uh, give you another quote from Neil Anderson. I love this book. It's called Victory Over the Darkness. And uh, I've been really reading and studying this book. I, I recommend this book. 
as well as uh, The Bondage Breaker, two excellent books about our fallenness. But Neil Anderson said this, Ever since Adam and Eve's sin alienated them from God and introduced strife into human relationships, we have experienced a deep need to belong. Even when people come to Christ and fill their need to belong to God, they still need to belong to the community of God's people. There is this, uh, we kind of refer to it as Blaise Pascal's, you know, God-shaped vacuum that isn't just for God, but it's this need for community. And yet you flip it around and what kind of world are we living in? We're living in a broken world where we're seeing this fallenness, this Lack of community more and more and more. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this last week about this series and about relational connectedness. And he said, this is his quote, loneliness is our number one descriptor. People saying, I don't feel known by anyone. He said that and I wrote it down because I thought, and that is saying it. Loneliness is our number one descriptor. People saying, I don't feel known by anyone. Is that you? I mentioned uh, my love for 70s music, late 60s music. This is one of my all-time favorite albums, Simon and Garfunkel's Greatest Hits. My sister, my older sister had this album. I took it from her and, and memorized this whole album. And there's a song on this album called I Am A Rock that... To me, as I thought about this, this just so puts into words where so many people are at. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen, silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress, deep and mighty, that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughing, laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love, but I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to sustain me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Hmm. It's a graphic, poetic way of describing what so many are living in this sense of isolation. You know, I looked up the word uh, cocooning. It, you know, we, we know this word cocoon, right? Where a caterpillar goes in and comes out a beautiful butterfly. But in 1981, according to Wiki, uh, the word cocooning was coined. Love that picture. <laughs> the need to protect oneself from the harsh, unpredictable realities of the outside world. Cocooning, cocooning. And you know, in these last uh, 30 plus years since this phrase cocooning came out, what are we seeing more and more of as well? Uh, people with their noses just buried in screens. 
And I'm, I'm not here at all to, uh, to come against technology like Napoleon's brother Kip. I love technology, but not as much as you, you see. If you know no Napoleon Dynamite, that's a great scene at the end. But not here to bash technology, but I mean, just look, look at what's, I mean, just the eyes say it all, right? And we have an enemy. We really do, an enemy of our souls. And what I want to say, even by bringing this concept of even screen time up this morning, it's, it's just being aware of the number one issue. I agree with my pastor friend that isolation, loneliness, not feeling known by anyone is such a prevalent issue, and, and the enemy to our soul wants nothing more than to isolate us, to pull us apart from human relationships. That's why it's so important to be here, to just be in fellowship with one another. So what's the solution? Neil Anderson said this, the spiritual union of Christian fellowship, the Bible word for it is koinonia. Mamma mia, koinonia. It's a good Italian word. No, it's not. It's Greek. Uh, it's not just a nice thing the church ought to provide. This really struck me. It's not just a nice thing the church ought to provide. It is a necessary thing the church must provide. Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. And honestly, as I thought about this, if you get the sermon notes, I kind of open up the questions, discussion questions by thinking about, all right, what is Christian fellowship? For one thing, I feel like that's kind of a kind of an older word, fellowship. Now we have the word community, and we we all feel the need for it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. This is the blueprint that God gives us for what the church ought to be about. This is like, uh, this is Christianity Church 101. This is on the day of Pentecost or just following, after the Holy Spirit came and filled the church with his presence. And by the way, we don't bump into the word koinonia until the Holy Spirit comes. So the, this is the first time we see koinonia showing up in, uh, in the early church. But it is, uh, it's God filling the church. I was still in Genesis. Let me go to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Um, koinonia, Christian fellowship. Let's look at verse 42. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to koinonia, translated in the NIV, fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and had everything. The word again is koinonia. But it's translated here not as fellowship, but as common or in common. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. They gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued meeting, what? Together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Church, this is God's design for the church. 
praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because the outside world, if you will, those that didn't yet have the Holy Spirit, they saw the fellowship, this way that they loved one another, and they wanted to be a part of it. In this passage, koinonia translated as common, in that they had all things in common. Same word translated as fellowship. But we see that it goes way beyond just cup, a cup of coffee with each other. The way we use fellowship these days has really drained the word of a lot of its meaning. By the way, this is a quote by a guy named Ben Torrey, who is the great-grandson great of R.A. Torrey, who was one of the great evangelists under um, D.L. Moody, uh, his great-grandfather founded a school called Biola, the Baptist Institute of Los Angeles, a Christian school out in L.A. Often we think of fellowship as having a good time together or of sharing time together in fellowship hour after church or between services. A fellowship hour would be much closer, in a sense, to the New Testament way the word was used. If along with a cup of coffee, we spent the time finding out who needed a place to live who needed help paying off a debt, who needed a new suit for a job interview, and so forth. Then, having found out what the needs were, we started making arrangements to take the person into our homes, give them a new suit, get several people together to help pay off their debt, and so forth. In other words, fellowship koinonia, in the New Testament has to do with a deep, deep level of commitment to one another in very practical terms, sharing what we have. So when we go back through the various places that this word is used in both Old and New Testaments, we see that it might be better translated as partnership or committed, permanent, fully equal relationship. It's the word that is used to refer to those who are married or the, the relationship between biological brothers and sisters or soldiers who protect each other in battle. In all of these relationships, there is a deep commitment of time and resources. There is a sense of equality and in many cases, a lifelong bond. It's interesting that if you are to now listen in to the way major college coaches are coaching their teams, you know what they're talking about almost more than anything? Koinonia. It's true. When you listen to major college coaches, they talk about, you, you don't just go in for the love of the game and you don't go for the victory. You know what you're really doing? You're playing for the person beside you. You just, it's this deep sense of, of, uh, of love for one another. That's what koinonia really means. It's, it's fellowship, sharing things in common. And uh, I, I love this. Most of us know John 3.16, for God loves us with this everlasting love. But 1 John 3.16 builds on that. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Whoa, wow. Dear children, let us not love 
with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. My goodness. There was an old man by the name of Pashomius. I bumped into the, to this guy as I was studying about Koinonia. Pashomius lived in the 4th century, and he was a, a monk. But we read about him. He started as an Egyptian soldier, won to Christ by the kindness of Christians in Thebes, which is part of ancient Egypt. After his release from the military in 315 A.D., he was baptized, serious about his new faith, and determined to grow. Pashomius became a disciple of Palamon, who was an ascetic monk who taught himself self-denial and solita the solitary life of a religious hermit. In early Christianity, the model of devotion was the recluse dedicated to resisting the corruption of society. I am a rock, I am an island. These hermits wandered in the deserts alone, fasting and praying. Such was the popular image of holiness, solitude, silence, and severity. And such was Pashomius' early spiritual training. It's how he was discipled. But he began to question the methods and lifestyle of his mentors. How can you learn love if no one else is around? How can you learn humility living alone? How can you learn kindness or gentleness or goodness in isolation? How can you learn patience unless someone tests your patience? In short, he concluded, developing spiritual fruit requires being around people. Ordinary ornery people. To save souls, he said, you must bring them together. Spiritual muscle isn't even learned among friends we have chosen. God's kind of love is best learned where we can't be selective about our associates. Perhaps this is why the two institutions established by God, the family and the church, are not joined by invitation only. We have no choice about who our parents or our brothers or sisters will be, yet we are expected to love them. <clears throat> Neither can we choose who will or will not be in the family of God. Anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord must be welcomed. You know, turn to your neighbor and say, I didn't choose you. I'm kidding, you don't have to do that. We learn... <laughs> We learn agape love most effectively in our involuntary associations away from the temptation of choosing to love only the attractive. So, Pashomius began an ascetic koinonia where holiness was developed not in isolation but in community. In fact, I've learned, he transformed the way monk life was lived. It went from being isolation to community. In community with flawed, demanding, sometimes disagreeable people, followers of Pashomius learned to take hurt rather than give it. They discovered that disagreements and opposition provide the opportunity to redeem life situations and experience God's grace. Thus began a new monastic life. Pashomius, while largely forgotten in church history, points out to us that as attractive as solitary sanctification may seem, it is life amid people, busyness, and interruptions that develop many of the qualities God requires. We need each other. It won't be long 
till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. This last week, I, I ordered this book called Go. Someone recommended it to me by this. Uh, he's a seminary prof and a pastor, Preston Sprinkle from Boise, Idaho. But he's writing about discipleship, and, and he writes this chapter, You Can't Become Like Jesus Alone, Authentic Relationships and Discipleship. And I have to tell you, I appreciate how honest Preston is. As he begins this chapter, he said, I'm not a very relational person. You might not believe this if you met me. I can turn on the friendliness when I need to. And I know how to ask questions and get to know people. In other words, I can fake it pretty well. But I actually like to be alone. Maybe love would be a better term. I love to be alone. I could be alone all week, even two weeks straight. Wouldn't bother me one bit. As long as I have a good book to read, a project to work on, good movies to watch, and a refrigerator packed full of meat, I'll be just fine. (laughs) Clearly not a vegetarian. That's why this chapter is tough to write because I'm part of the problem. I'm the one that needs this chapter the most. You might need it too, but I know I need it. Because here's the thing. Discipleship can't happen without relationships. Deep relationships. Authentic relationships. Relationships where people can share their intimate struggles, confess their socially unacceptable sins, and rely on others for spiritual strength. But these types of relationships are rare among Christians. Many Christians I talk to say they feel alone, unconnected, or isolated, even at church. They have some superficial friends, maybe one or two close friends if they're lucky, but on the whole, most Christians never get below the surface with their church communities until we figure out how to cultivate deep relationships among Christians. Our discipleship will continue to suffer. Church, we need each other. Today's really an introduction to this topic. I want to familiarize us with this word koinonia because it goes way beyond a cup of coffee. Not that that's bad, that's very good. (laughs) But it goes way beyond that. I love the way Ben Torrey said that it's way closer to koinonia when as you're having a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee, you're finding out what the needs are. And you're committed to meeting them. You're being there for other people. Because you know what? We're living in a world where more and more we see this, I am a rock, I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you, and we need each other. We need you, and we need each other. The two greatest commandments, love God, and love each other. It's not rocket science, God. It's what was broken in the fall. And it's what we long for in a restored paradise. That we will walk in complete union with you. And we will have absolute perfect koinonia with each other. But until that day, Jesus, we need you and we need each other. We need you and we need each other. God, I pray that you will help us to open our hearts Open our hearts to each other. Might we be more and more and more and more a church that loves each other, that loves the hurting, loves the lost, loves everyone, Jesus. Help us to not run from our issues, but to work them out in Christian fellowship. In all things, love 
Love is what binds our hearts together. Lord, in a minute we're going to sing that we need you alone in my sorrow and lost in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin. Jesus, as we sing this, set us free. Fill us with your spirit so that we might truly experience koinonia. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.